The opinions expressed on the following audio program are solely those of the host and the guests. Burner Podcast is an independently produced, not-for-profit show and is not associated with the Burning Man organization or its subsidiaries. The views expressed are not representative of the entire Burning Man community and are presented here for entertainment purposes only. In short, calm the fuck down. It's just a podcast. Let me know if I'm being too too much. No, 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 no such thing. It's not when you're sitting across from me. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I should do the intro. Let me do the right. intro thing. All right. Hey, it's episode number 130, and it is 88 days till the man burns as of this recording, and we made Sheet. it. We made it. Episode 130. This, this is my scripted part. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's Sorry fine. if I all of a sudden got into showbiz mode. Um, but but then we're gonna get back to that. Yeah. Talk about recording school plays. Um, we made it. Episode 130. This is not something you would have noticed, dear listener, but episode 130 has been fighting me this past now uh, four attempts at getting an episode 130 to your ears just kept throwing me curveball after curveball uh, in Tulum. I had one lined up and my guest's car broke down on the way to meet me. I recorded another interview and then that file got corrupted, uh, had another one set up yesterday and they canceled last minute. So sometimes I'm like, yo, universe, what's up? <laughs> Uh, but now, finally, I am in Cerritos, California. Am I pronouncing that right? El Cerrito. El Cerrito. It's not multiple. It's just one. No, just El. El. Just the Cerrito. El Cerrito, California, which is a town just north of Berkeley. And I'm sitting across my guest today, which uh, literally up until like just a couple of hours ago, I wasn't 100% sure if this was going to happen. <laughs> but um, but here we are. Uh, the, little, uh, the little episode that could today, I'm sitting with Mr. Mark Day. Uh, in Burning Man world, we know Mark as the guy who does those 24 hours at Burning Man videos. Uh, and in today's chat, I want to get to like really, really know this guy, where Mark came from, how he fell into this world, what drives that infectious excitement, what are his beard dying secrets, a brand new day with Mark Day, that's what's happening today. And after we've heard all that Mark's had to say, we'll be treated to a playified DJ set by none other than Captain J. Okay, I'm going to stop rhyming now, I swear. Uh, after today's chat, we'll be hearing from Captain J of the Air Pusher Collective. Mark loves this set because his voice is sampled in the beginning. And after all the emotional ups and downs I've had trying to make this episode happen, I am breathing a sigh of relief now that this interview finally came together with a guest who seems to have a narcissistic obsession with the sound of his own voice at least as much as I do. <laughs> so let's get into it. Today's episode is entitled A Brand New Day with Mark Day. I go by Mr. Arash even though nobody calls me up. Nobody calls me a Mr. I actually screwed up my intro. <laughs> That's fine. I go by Mr. Arash even though nobody calls me Mr. Welcome to Burner Podcast.
in. We are recording episode 130. Oh, hey, it's you. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to make it and we didn't want to start the podcast without you, but you're here now and that's all that matters. Once again and yet again, me and Mr. Arash have seen and done and burned many wonderful things in the magnificent Black Rock Desert and we're now sitting on my couch talking about them. Um, so, shall we go talk about Burning Man right now? <laughs> Let's go do some Burning Man Let's right do now. it right now. I had to do the shtick. I will yes. happily do the shtick. <laughs> I've lived a whole life to get to the point where I now have um, catchphrases. Yeah, yeah. Which I can just do, which apparently amuse people, so why not? That is excellent. It's like you're like those uh, dolls where you just like pull the cord on the back and you can say the thing. A little bit, yes. It <laughs> takes very, very little prompting. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, sometimes I can find myself at Burning Man talking to people and I will eventually say, uh, you can walk away at any point. <laughs> I will I will keep doing Mark Day at Burning Man until yeah. you walk away. I, I will keep it. performing the character of myself in the desert. Yeah. Um, so yes, yes. No, I love it because we've been, we've been chatting before we started recording and like... Um, and I noticed myself doing that, which like switches into now a mic is on. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but the, but you're still sincere. It's still Mark Day. Sincerity is an interesting um, area to talk about. Maybe we should get into that later. Yeah. But I think, ironically, if you watch my videos, I have outsourced a significant amount of the sincerity to Halcyon, mm -hmm. who does it so much better than I do. He does. I, there was a point once when I was thinking about something that I that maybe would be interesting to include in the video, and I thought maybe I could just start writing lines for other people to deliver, yeah. which is actually something that I did, you know, pretty much as soon as I picked up a video camera way back when. I quite like it. I quite like telling other people what to say. Yeah. Um, so yes, I do. I, I mean, there's a lot of sincere enthusiasm going on in my videos. Um, but also, I think perhaps being Scottish, certain aspects of sincerity are better done by people who are, I don't know, native Californian, native San Diego, native mm -hmm. wherever. I think, you know, there's that. So, yes, I'm, I'm, I sincerely love all this stuff, but I do it in sometimes an arch and ironic way yeah. that maybe, I, maybe I'll get past that this year. Maybe that will be my um, goal this year is to just be less performative and more myself but i like the performative version of myself so it's hard to say yeah yeah we'll see that okay no we're gonna go deep into that you've gone off to the uh, deep end yeah, oh, already yeah. no, 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 we're, we're going very deep into that. uh are in your experience would you opine that the scottish are not as uh, into sincere i'm doing quotes here with my sure. fingers as like californians i i will tell you where i would um land on this is I have always had a bit of a problem with actually this isn't really about sincerity but it's about it's similar like what's the Scottish cat you know and I should back up and go I'm yeah. from Scotland I've been living in America for over 20 years yeah. um, I've been going to Burning Man since 1997 not every single year but in clusters of years and more often than not yeah. um the notion of to what extent I my character is defined by my Scottishness versus I'm somebody who couldn't wait to get away from Scotland is an right. interesting question for me. Yeah. Maybe not for other people, but certainly for me. Um, 
But I think Scottish people have a bit of a no-nonsense rightness about them. Yeah. And sometimes that can, in a Burning Man context, you know, I would say playa names can be challenging for me. If somebody introduces themselves as, my name is Dirt, I'll be like, okay, and moment, that's a crappy example. But if, you know, if it's a s- relatively few syllables, yeah. um, fine. If I know someone's name is Dave and they want to be addressed as Captain Sparkle Pants, <laughs> there's part of me that understands why I should just go along with that. And there's still some resistance. Right, right, right. After all this time. And not only that, but like, I don't even need to explain this to people. But I find myself explaining to people, often at Burning Man, who are super excited because they finally, they've got, I've just got my playa name. Yeah. I've been waiting for somebody to give me my playa name. I don't need to explain to them that I have a hard time with playa names. But there I am explaining that somehow part of being Scottish is... You know, I mean, I think, you know, that's part of the interesting thing about finding what I love about Burning Man is there's a playfulness about it. But also, again, if your name's Dave, I'm going to have a hard time calling you Captain Sparkle Pants. Don't know why that is. Uh, No, this is is an excellent topic because I want to talk about this for a little bit. And then I want to go back to your roots and how, how you ended up in the U.S. and everything. And. Um, what, from what you're describing to me, this is the connection that I'm making with it. And uh, as a um, person who grew up in Middle Eastern culture, what I'm hearing, please correct me if I'm wrong, sure. is uh, Scottish culture might tend to be um, less playful, more serious maybe. Uh. And I wonder if like calling somebody Captain Sparkle Pants is it's play, it's silliness. Like, how, how good do you think are the Scottish with silliness? I You know, I think so much of... It's hard for me to tell if my entire personality just comes down to the fact that once, as a young man, as a schoolboy, mm. I discovered um, a vinyl record by the comedian, actor, and greatest living Scotsman, Billy Connolly, in my dad's record collection, and he does like a 20 minute monologue that I would absolutely urge people to seek out on YouTube. There's only like, as far as I know, one recorded version of it. He was like our George Carlin, our Richard Pryor, our Steve Martin all rolled into one. And he does, um, he does a, a, what you might call a shaggy dog story um, about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as if it happened in a working man's pub in Glasgow. (laughs) And, it was it was like a bolt of lightning. It's like you can hear the electricity in the room and young Mark of however many years old is listening to it just wide-eyed that you're allowed to say these things. Um, and I think there's a lot, like, Scottish people are very funny. Mm. Um, I... <laughs> You know, I think I'm quite funny by American standards. I think if you put me in a room with other Scottish people, I would not necessarily be quick to assume I'm the funniest person in the room. Um, But it comes with a certain sort of know your place, don't get ideas above your station. You're being a bit... It's a lot about cutting down pretension. And is there anything more... Cutting down the poppy seed, like they say in Australia. Right. And is there anything more pretentious than demanding to be addressed as Captain Sparkle Pants? (laughs) I... 
I don't know. So okay, well, well, what if what if the name does not have a title attached? Right. To it? I mean, obviously, honorifics make it yeah, more challenging. Yeah. So if it's just what if sparkle, it's just Sparkle Pants Junior? Then I would probably Sparky. I'd be like fine yeah. with Sparky. Right. Sparkle Pants. You know, I, I don't know. It's yeah. I it, well, I, I can I dissect that for sure. a second. So um, I'm kind of I, I would like I would make a distinction between uh, like funny and silly. Sure. Uh, because so funny, strangely, I've been dissecting this quite a lot. Recently. Okay. Uh, the the basic formula of comedy is tragedy plus time. Sure. And uh, it's I, it's probably not an accident that uh, cultures and communities that have had the greatest deal of tragedy also have the best sense of humor in many in many instances. Sure. So I would almost say that like comedy. Um, there is a lineage of seriousness to it, which eventually leads to comedy. Like the story that the example that you were giving wouldn't be as funny if we hadn't connected that to the absolute tragedy of Christ and the seriousness sure. of the story, right? Well, I, I mean, I think in that particular example, there's also, there's just the irreverence of it. Yeah. Um, there's just this notion of like the sacred and the profane and playing with the two and that I find quite interesting. I mean, if you're talking about silliness, I think, you know, silliness doesn't require tragedy. Right, silliness absolutely. doesn't require, you know, there's a, th th there can be a darkness to humor that I find quite appealing sometimes, but I Me also too. like silly stuff. And funnily enough, just to go back to Billy Connolly for a second, mm -hmm. I actually just recently started reading his autobiography and he immediately ironically starts talking about his persona as being windswept and interesting mm. and windswept and interesting people dress a certain way and like certain things and are as the name implies windswept and interesting and you can't be you can't decide to be windswept and interesting you can only be recognized as windswept and interesting by other people who are themselves windswept and interesting and but does that make him the quintessential Scottish person or does that make him the person who stands out from the kind of the grey, lumpy porridge of sameness yeah. that is, I, you know, I guess some degree of cultural conformity? So again, I, I sort of often describe myself as living in this sort of liminal space where I'm both the most Scottish person yeah. some people will have met and at the same time, if you were to drop me off in Scotland, people would be like, we literally chased you out of the country. <laughs> we literally <laughs> let you know yeah. when you lived here, you did not fit in. Mm. Why are you back now? Um, so, you know, I think, you know, I think Scottish people have a sense of humour, Irish people have a sense of humour, yeah. you know, there's, a, there, there, you know, and there, there can be a darkness, there can be a silliness, um, but, you know, Again, Billy Conley, God bless him, has Parkinson's now. He would fit in perfectly at Burning Man. And yeah. I think he, but, you know, he was really pushing against what you were allowed to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at a time, you know, this is 40 or whatever years ago or longer when, you know, I haven't watched it yet to go off on another tangent. I'm a big fan of tangents. Um, I haven't started watching the new... Um, Danny Boyle series um, about the Sex Pistols, mm -hmm, um, yeah. but you know, very much 
you know, I, I, not to chew up too much time talking about this, but, you know, I think things like that, the context matters and what was going on in the UK at the time mattered. And, right. you know, the Sex Pistols in the UK, if you were to compare them to the Ramones in the US, it's two very, very different things. Yeah. And it's not about who made the first punk record. It's not about who made the loudest noise the first. It's like, what was the cultural impact at the time? The UK is a much smaller country, you know, it's... Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. how did we end up here? No, I'm not on the flyer. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We're gonna. We're, this we'll is this there. is exactly why I do okay. the show. <laughs> because you know, after 130 episodes, like I just trust that we are going to talk about Burning Man, whether Eventually. we fucking want to or not. Uh, but but I think the topic of um, comedy uh, versus silliness and right. play. I think that that's a really powerful topic because I think that is a great deal of the reason many of us are drawn right. to Burning Man and it's a lot of the lessons that we learn on Playa. Sure. Um, because out in the world, and I'm, I'm pointing at the listeners who can't listen, I'm pointing at default world outside the windows, which by the way, that's a fucking great view. I have, you know, watch me bring this back to Burning Man. Yeah. After getting to the point where I have multiple catchphrases, including, yeah. have you seen the sky lately? It looks magnificent. And I really do have this strong, strong sense that if you are in a Burning Man camp and somebody says to you, we're all going to have a communal meal mm -hmm. at sunset, we'll all gather behind this U-Haul truck and between two people's caravans and eat spaghetti. Right run as fast as you can yeah. in the opposite direction because the golden hour at Burning Man is so beautiful and I, the open. I, I agree. I, I, I appreciate the communalness of it. I feel like sunset is like usually when I'm the antsiest and I don't want to be sitting down. Yes. <laughs> um, so I last year, for you know a variety of reasons, in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. we moved house, which was a pain in the arse. And my criteria, we needed more space right, right. for a couple of things, you know, was one thing. Um, I thought I was living in a two bedroom house with a home office till it was pointed out to me that in fact, it could also be a three bedroom house with no home office. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and my chief criteria was a view of the sky and yeah. looking out of it. my front window, it. I can see the sunset over Mount Tam. And it so my, you know, I'm not just talking the talk, I'm yeah. walking the walk. No, when it comes to a good view, I have an excellent view of Mount Tam. This is absolutely spectacular. I, and I, a view of the Richmond refinery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you squint your eyes a little bit, you can always tell yourself maybe it's Blade Runner. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yes. I mean, I do that anyway. So but, where were uh, we? Yeah. So, so, so silliness and comedy. Right. Uh, and when I pointed out to the default world, I'm like, in the default world, we are rewarded for being funny. Um, from being comedic, sure. Very often, there's there's a lot of social rewards for that. Uh, there are not really any social rewards for being silly, like simply silly, right? And I think uh, uh, comedy, the fun, the more intelligent and interesting it is, the more you're you're poking at something. Maybe that like, if you can make somebody laugh about something they didn't think they were supposed to laugh about, but you did it because you referenced something that they intellectually connected to it. Sure. You've, you've done it, like knocked it out of the park. Right. Right. Whereas with silliness, it just might be that like, I'm dressed ridiculous and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm running down the street in a tutu doing handstands right. and that 
is only entertaining and that's mostly humorous entertaining to me. It is also humorous and entertaining to those who are joining in on the silliness. Right. But for those who are not joining in on that experience, they might look at it from the outside. Like people, let's say, for example, people who are not interested in Burning Man right. would look at it from the outside and go, the fuck is wrong with that guy? Right. Right. So there is these, and I, and I feel like at on Playa, that is a shift that I at least have experienced and I've observed people experience is that we get in there and the ego is like, let's continue to be funny and, and be intelligently humorous and take our tragedy and ask time and like do self-deprecating humor or there's silliness. Right. I'm just going to be silly. I'm going to laugh uncontrollably. It's not attached to any sort of outcome. I'm not, I don't care how I look. Right. <laughs> I want to do handstands the way that I did when I was a little kid. And I, and I feel like that is a lot of what comes up at Burning Man. Well, uh, one of my many grand unifying theories of Burning Man mm. is that Burning Man is very much a community of introverts cosplaying as extroverts. I have been saying that from day one. So what you have is a lot of people who are fundamentally quite introverted playing with the notion of what they think it is to be an extrovert, yeah. which means that for most people, the volume control is not set at the right level. <laughs> It's, it's, it, you know, so it's a little accurate. too loud or, yeah. you know, or it can sometimes be a little unnecessarily inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so accurate. Which is something that one has to remember if, for example, you are taking kids to a regional, for example. Yeah, yeah. Is that not that people are misbehaving in a way that is lecherous and inappropriate but there are people there you your kids may run into people who are excited to see kids and genuinely do not know how to behave around kids right yeah just yeah you know so yeah. but you know and it, it, yeah i mean i, I think, resembled that remark right yeah. i think that um you know i think that you know i enjoy both i enjoy the silliness i enjoy meta silliness um i um a couple of years ago, and also last year, you know, other things that I've been interested in in the Burning Man space are, um, I've been quite interested in VR, mostly because mm -hmm. I didn't go to Burning Man for the past couple of years. Um, and one of the things that I did um, in, in, in BRC VR um, over the last couple of years is the Million Mark Day March, which involves <laughs> getting maybe not a million, but maybe... <laughs> 20 or so people to convert their avatars to look like me. So it's very, very narcissistic. <laughs> but they're on riff on me. You know, it could yeah. be me in a different outfit. Yeah. It could be, you know, lady me. It could be, you know, the, you know, all sorts of different skin tones. You yeah. know, you can... It, so, like, I like... The you know you've you know. won if you get... If you get Stephen Raspa to also right. <laughs> become a Mark Day. Well... <laughs> Um, I th my, my friend Amy um, is talking up the idea of maybe this year we might try and do the the Mark Day ride, which is the pink ride only yeah. jankier, where <laughs> we're basically just, you know, I do the catchphrases, we cycle around, yeah. and I'm not sure the point, you know, the, the idea needs more. I love to it. be fleshed out a yeah, little bit yeah, more. Yeah. So I it's love in the, the early stages. You know, I love the you know I love the silliness aspects of it and the playfulness. I think you know. It's funny, I was at, I mentioned um, regionals. I was at the Unscrews mm. regional uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, in Santa Cruz. Um, yes, and to, to, to continue to reference back to 
friend of the Burner podcast, Halcyon, I ran yeah. into him there and it was kind of funny because we were commenting on the fact that it is, it's a regional in what on paper is a very unpromising location. Yeah. It's the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has livestock pens. It has relatively old infrastructure. It has an old concrete looking band shell, you know, and I haven't really been to other regionals and, you know, Halcyon was saying, well, this is not like going to a lake or going into the woods and kind of reimagining Burning Man. And it's, you know, can you be at the county fairgrounds and it still feel like Burning Man? And the answer, of course, is yes, mm -hmm. because so much of that is um, the people, really. And the, you know, the shared agreements that we have around how we're going to behave, spoken and unspoken, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the more somewhat prescribed two two Tuesdays yeah. or whether it's just generally how people engage with each other. Um, so I can't remember why I got on to talking about this, but that, you know, I, it, no, it's a, it, I agree that it's a general consciousness. Like I can sense a difference between like when I'm in a, some event in a default world setting, but it's like populated by burners, that same restaurant will feel like a completely different place yeah. than when I go there like the next Wednesday when there's nobody there. You know, at the same time, I often think if you went to an office and it was your first day on the job and they were like, you know, you, you know you, you'll be sitting over by a rash. As far as he's concerned, every day is talk like a pirate day. <laughs> and he is willing to operate the, f the photocopier for you. Yeah. But first, you must have a spanking. You'd be like... <laughs> I would like a desk as far away from that person as possible. <laughs> so, you know, it, you know, it is that kind of interesting mix of people who want to have the, you know, want to have life hacks in order to have more rewarding mm -hmm. experiences with each other. And I think there's all sorts of layers to that. Maybe you get so caught up in the hack that you forget to have the rewarding experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. you know, although maybe the hack is the rewarding experience in it itself. I mean, I have been making videos at Burning Man for a long time. And there are certainly, I've looked back on it and I'm like, ooh, 2011 you're not really talking to anybody. Are you hiding behind the camera? Yeah, and I think, yeah. you know, for a lot of people with cameras, that is the truth that there is. It's a, you know, it's a hobby that also operates as a, you know. Totally. As an interaction facilitation device. Totally. Um, and I'm certainly as, I don't know if the word appropriate word is guilty, but I certainly do that to a degree, mm -hmm. you know. Burning As Man is a place where people could be happy to see you just because you are there. Yeah, I have somehow decided to be an elaborate cartoon character yeah. uh, in order to flip that switch to a, you know, just to a further degree. Um, yeah. I started a podcast. There you go. <laughs> exactly. It's an opportunist, you know, one of my, one of the things that I like about being a Burning Man now is like I can, you know, ideally get there towards the end of build week, mm -hmm. wander onto... Um, you know, a build site and look for someone to talk to. But you know, the the, the curiosity is real. The 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 interest in what they're doing is is genuine and sincere. There's that word sincere, right, and, right. and 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 about wanting to share that with other people. Um, but you know, it's also 
you know, it's also kind of the role that I've taken on, yeah. you know, and it has to a ridiculous de degree defined what my Burning Man experience has become because I've sort of become my own art project in a way. Yeah. I've certainly, you know, by experience, going to Burning Man has become the art project in itself because, it, 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 you know, I'm looking for certain things. I'm replicating things that I've done in previous years and trying to play around with the idea of, you know, right. like a big moment for me was the first time that I realized, oh, you know, you can make this long video of Burning Man, but, and I'm going to get boring and methodical about this now. Please um, do. You know, you can look at the back end on your, you know, your analytics on YouTube and see how quick the drop off of people watching is. So, I like the, including the journey. I like including the travel. I like including the kind of the layers that you kind of scrape away on the way there. Right. But I also realized that the best time to put that in a video was 20 minutes in. You kind of have to front load it with, we're going to show you the cool stuff. Right, right. And then we're going to do a flashback. And I like that for a couple of reasons because I, you know, the structure of it is kind of interesting to me. It's kind of interesting how you structure it. But also I like, you know, maybe too much um, meta-narratives and storytelling that recognises that a storytelling and comments on the storytelling. And, right. you know, in simple terms, I quite enjoyed Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and yeah. stuff of that nature. You know, it, well, actually, that's not a good example of meta-storytelling. But anyway. Well, that, that that's actually... Uh Excellent segue because <laughs> uh, because uh, that's actually kind of how I do the interviews too. Is I actually I imagine it as like an action movie. Right. I start it with an action scene. Right. And then you're like, then it's like three weeks earlier. You know, this is how you got into this mess. You know, like right. show the murder mystery. You um, have to. You have because yeah. otherwise, you know, like the stuff that you're interested in is not necessarily the stuff other people are interested yeah, in. Yeah. You got to suck them in somehow. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I've never looked at the um, analytics in that way to to be able to say. I just felt like it was more interesting to do yeah. it this way. And then just based on just on the topic of what you were describing earlier, like how you're experiencing Burning Man. Um, same, same for me. And this is actually, this conversation is giving me a great deal of clarity on exactly this topic because I've been conflicted on that because sometimes I do have episodes that I feel like I'm doing because I feel obligated to. But, and as soon as I start to feel that, I'm like, let's just cancel this one. Like, this is not worth it. I'm, I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not turning this into an editor. Like, if I'm not enjoying it, why am I doing it? And yes. that's something we get away with at Burning Man, which like we don't necessarily get away with, you know, in a day-to-day -day. Sure drudgery of the job but hopefully we can take those lessons and bring it back and ask like why am i doing this thing at work is this something that can be outsourced am i doing it just because i feel obligated to because there's a deadline or because i legitimately want to sit with this person yeah you know things yeah. like that as i am taking a break from the office right now i yeah. i will not be drawn on that topic too much. no it, no it's excellent <laughs> I, I i appreciate it you're like i could use the distraction i'm like excellent that's yeah. why we're supposed to do this but i want to go back to uh your childhood in scotland <sighs> okay um, if we you must said you, you came across the record um and and that that sparked is that what sparked excitement in comedy um i you know i don't know like there's something absolutely electric about that specific recording that I'm talking about mm -hmm. because 
I didn't grow up in a religious household, but religion is part of the mix, particularly in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, you you were born in Glasgow? I'm from Glasgow, okay. and you have like a sort of Catholic immigrant Irish population, population there, um, which is, would be on my father's side. And then you have the, the, the Protestant population who have been there longer, and they don't like the... You know, the Catholic Protestant thing is played out weirdly in the form of professional sports mm. um glasgow has two soccer teams well it's multiple soccer teams but one celtic which is like the boston celtics very green and white and mm. very um you know plays into that kind of um celtic heritage and then um glasgow rangers in my lifetime had up until i don't know how many i mean it's a long time ago now um but had never fielded a catholic player which would be like I don't know the next saying we're never signing a muslim it's wow. it's that yeah, level yeah. and just very early on i kind of was like noped out of all of that i was probably a weird kid i read comic books i liked mm. science fiction movies i wasn't really you know the the, the 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 boxes that you ticked growing up in scotland were very much what's what soccer team do you support i can't think what the other ones are it was like that yeah. binary mm. um so my kind of my kind of content creation origin story i guess i haven't really thought about this this far back but probably was getting into music deciding to make a music fanzine um real real quick uh what kind of comics were you into i i would love to say that i really had all the most interesting and esoteric um comics of the era i was a dc kid okay i yeah, didn't even have differ. the mark i didn't you know and it, i don't know why yeah. looking back at it now i mean i get the whole stan lee created this universe of relatable yeah. and flawed and more interesting characters i don't know if i just started with batman comic books and superman comic books but i yeah. had all of that then i get into music um and when i say music i really mean heavy metal that's what i was about to ask um yeah. you know the iron maidens of the world the judas priest all of that kind of stuff um and i did um, what is it what how old were you when you got into heavy metal oh, like like a teenager i guess what I did know. that bring up for you like was it was it a, a catharsis was um, it euphoria what did it feel like i remember seeing um a band in a school hall like just like a school band mm. playing what i think and it's a long time ago now where acdc cover versions maybe they played leather be rock by acdc maybe not i don't know that would dovetail quite nicely with billy Connolly talking about the crucifixion but i remember like a switch just like you know i guess the you know power noise volume bombasticness of it um you know the packaging the album sleeves um the that whole aesthetic felt right yeah yeah you know and I, you know i consumed a lot of it yeah. to the point where i ended up after college working for a music magazine so my first was that was the the fanzine you mentioned you said that was something you started yourself 
Yeah, I, I I tried once, and I don't think I ever got very far with it. And okay. then when I worked, at, uh, when I went to college, I was the entertainment secretary at the student union for a while. Yeah. Um, the biggest band that I booked would have been the Proclaimers, who you may remember from Five Hundred yeah. Miles and nothing else. But I assure you, they have a lot of other songs. <laughs> Some of them really good. Um, when they before they broke, um, yeah. and there was a there was a photocopier. In the so, so you went and office. interviewed the Proclaimers? No, oh, no, I no, I booked them when they they were a bar band okay. in Edinburgh. Um, that was just my one name band that you may have yeah, heard yeah. of that I booked for the student union. Um, I I started a fanzine um, because I had access to a photocopier because I was in the office alone at night and I was free photocopying. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, it was about the time that like. Sp- speed metal or whatever you want to call it, thrash metal was coming up. So there were like indie record labels who if you had a fanzine would send you records and, you know, enable you to talk to Scott Ian from Anthrax or whomever. So so that was kind of, you know, and there's where my, the blessing and the curse, I don't know if it's of being Scottish or just being me, but having quite a critical eye about things mm. um strong opinions about relatively meaningless things um being able to parse um which is better la guns or faster pussycat yeah. so you know that's a and that can be you know i'm quite judgy i'm a quite <laughs> judgmental person um burning man has not beaten that out of yeah. me um <laughs> if anything sometimes um for fun my friend Amy and I will cycle around and we might snark the art a little bit, hopefully not within earshot of an artist because nobody <laughs> needs that. I've only done that and been called on it around certain large aeroplane based artworks. But yeah. you know, it's I you know, I you know, I've had a job you know, I've Certain had jobs ones, yeah. where you've had to look at something and decide is this good or bad? Is yeah. this worth is this worth someone's money or not? And to be honest, I mean music journalism is advocacy journalism. You're starting with the basic premise that all of this is great, just some of it's better than others. I'm not sitting making very complex decisions, but anyway. Yeah, somehow yeah. so we, the heavy metal thing, writing for music magazines, that was um sort of my first experience of just writing about stuff but I will the you know it's kind of funny the comedy thing which is a little bit of a theme in my videos I set out to be somewhat funny was certainly something that I would never have thought you could have just tried to do yourself and I think part of that was a little bit growing up in Scotland and just not having that worldview that things are just there for you to try. Right. Um, Meaning that, for example, you would have to have some level of career in comedy? uh, I don't know, but I think it's more just like, you know, you don't see... It's, you know, absence of role models with the perhaps exception of Billy Conley who's operating on a level that's... You know, he's on a different level, but, you know, not really necessarily, you know viewing the world as something to be observed rather than participated in, perhaps. And again, perhaps that comes back to the making video thing. It is often, you know, there's a little, there's a lot of the observer in me. 
Um, but the the critic and the commentator and the recontextualizer. I'm getting very pretentious now, yeah. boys and girls at home. No, I'm into it. But I like you know recontextualizing things and so on. So, but we should get to the video stuff eventually. We will. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's plenty of video stuff. We'll get to it. Uh, no, the, the question is: This just bring up an interesting topic. What's your heart out, by the way? Um, I don't have one, but I sh well, okay. I have a meeting at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're we're forty one minutes in. I'm gonna guess another forty minutes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, I could talk to you all day, to be honest. As like, could I'm, I. I'm, I'm, I could also that. talk all day. <laughs> this is very entertaining. But um, uh, uh, this is just totally anecdotal, random. It just occurred to me from speaking with you that I have met a lot of Irish folks at Burning Man, and very can't think of any Scottish other than you. Um, because I think. If you grow up in Ireland, you already have brothers, cousins, yeah. aunts, uncles who have left. The, you know, I'm not, I didn't focus on history at school. Nor yeah, there was actually, a, a, I, I remember somebody had told me this uh, when I started partying with a lot of Irish kids, like in the 20s and stuff. They said that like uh, the economy and stuff had gotten there in a way that like it became a catchphrase that Ireland's greatest export is its youth. Right. <laughs> I mean, basically, you leave... Whereas in Scotland, you don't. So... Why not? I don't know. I think... I don't know. I don't live there and I don't really, you know... I don't know why. I know that... And this is this is a statistic that I have no attribution for. But I believe that... I think Glasgow has the highest percentage of people who go to university in their hometown. Mm. Now, they may not live with their parents when they go to university, but they may just move into the city or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why. I, I, I mean, I don't think Scottish, you know, Irish people, ha you know, I have American relatives or sadly older relatives who have passed on who did travel abroad. So it's not true that the Scots don't, but I think it's so culturally part of the Irish experience. And then if you come here... And you don't, you're not necessarily here legitimately, shall we say. Yeah. You can go and work in a bar or house paint or like there is a, at least in the San Francisco Bay Area, right, right, right. probably more so in Boston where I lived briefly, there is an economy you can kind of disappear into. Right. Or, you know, I think, again, I don't know enough about this to be sitting here opining with authority, mm -hmm. but... I, I believe it's probably easier to get a visa if you're Irish than it right. is if you're... Yeah, the J-1 visas was what blew up when yeah. I was in my 20s. And yeah, and, and yeah it was a lot of uh, service industry uh, kids um, in a one-bedroom apartment, like 10 of them. And there's an also... Amazing summer, by the way. And, <laughs> and, an amazing time. And, and my good friend Stephen is the youngest of 10. Yeah. So I think Ireland, Ireland just produces a lot more youth per capita, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Their, their, their production levels yeah. are that much higher. They're more Catholic. Yes. <laughs> um, the So uh, did you travel uh, in your youth? Or Not really. Were you, were you pretty stationary? At Not really. Yeah. I never did the... I was, I'm a relatively unadventurous person. Yeah. I never did the, you know, interrailing around Europe, which is a thing people do before right. college. Say you get a, a rail pass that relatively inexpensively allows you to travel around youth hostels in Europe. I never did anything like that. I'm not that well-traveled. Um, what did you major in? I did communications. Okay. Um, I'm riddled with ADHD, so I did not actually complete my degree, which, you know, I'm over now, but I can... Mm. 
have a random Burning Man story about that. Um, do you want to tell that now or wait? Yeah, no, no. Wait, let's let's just do it before I forget. Do the random story. I, some years ago, I don't remember which year. Um, I I had gone to the temple, which for me is the kind of thing. It's like it's not something you do on day one. Mm. It's not something you leave to the last day. You know, you know, it's floating around in your head that you're going to get there when not when the time is right or when you're ready but again it's not just it's not something I'm in a hurry to do nor is it something I'm necessarily avoiding it'll be some morning I'll get up and go okay now go and I'll go and I'll have usually the kind of raw experience that someone from Scotland may not necessarily indulge at other times in their lives you know if we're sticking with that theme you know um and so I did and I spent time there and I enjoy spending time there and I enjoy you know the the ambience of being there and then I left and at that point I for want of a better word need some kind of palate cleanser and there's a somebody had set a table up and they were doing um, diplomas from the University of Life <laughs> and there was a line of people waiting um, and I don't really, as, as I have documented on the internet, I don't really like waiting in lines. Yeah. I'm very itchy feet to get on to the next thing but I stopped and they, you know, it was a it was um, I don't know the name of the camp, but this woman Margaret Meps, I believe she goes by, and some other people. They were doing they had diplomas, mm -hmm. and as someone who didn't complete college, and has you know not struggled with that at times, but you know it's unfortunate that I didn't when I didn't you know, and you can't transfer college credit. The Scottish system is not really designed for you only have four more credits to go. So I just you know, so I got my diploma. Um, I got a dual major, my choice, and I chose sarcasm and sincerity. <laughs> so, uh, and it, you know, it sat on my desk for the longest time. I haven't quite fully sorted my Burning Man space out in what will be the garage space downstairs. Um, so it's not currently hanging anywhere, but it, it, it kind of means a lot to me. Mm. And then last year, someone came up to me and said, Mark, this is, there's a, there's a painting of you down by the DMV. And in my hubris, <laughs> I felt like, why not? Seems reasonable. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm me. If you were going to paint a picture of something at Burning Man, yeah. you know, you'd work your way down the hierarchy. You might, Larry first. Yeah. You know, Halcyon, then there's a big drop-off. But then, you know, in terms of somewhat... And in the back of my head, I was like, I'm going to wait till I'm in the best possible frame of mind to go and see what this actually is. Yeah. And when I went, I think in my head, what I was expecting was more of um, me, the cartoon character. Yeah. Um, what it actually was is Margaret, who years previously had given me this diploma, 
right. had created a series of portraits that are that were displayed last year around um i th i think not the physical dmv building itself but the support space a little bit further back on the esplanade if that matters mm. um of people she knew and it was a picture of me with this certificate with this diploma that she yeah. had given me years previously so it was incrementally that much more meaningful for me. I mean, at first I was just like, sure, why shouldn't there be a, a portrait of me on the Esplanade? After all, I'm me. Yeah. But when I saw it, it turned out it was, she had actually painted a picture of me holding this diploma and it was a really nice thing. Yeah. So that's that's my, my college story. I didn't graduate from college. I couldn't say I've graduated from Burning Man because very much like Matthew McConaughey, yeah. I'm still there. Yeah, yeah. The virgins, if we must call them that, are getting younger or stay the same age. I am, I got that completely wrong, didn't I? <laughs> I'm getting older. The virgins still stay the same age. Yeah. I'm still there. But yeah, I have somewhat, I have at least certification proving that I have earned something at Burning Man. Right. I love that. And, and I actually leads to the question of uh is the reason you didn't finish university connected to how you ended up in the united states no i was working that gap um yeah. i worked for a music magazine while i was i'd started writing for a music magazine while mm -hmm. i was still at college um they offered me a job before my course had finished and i took it and stopped trying at school at that point which was a stupid decision mm. In the unlikely event anybody is <laughs> anybody listening to this is thinking, Oh, I have a job now, I should just bail on education. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> Years later, <laughs> I'm waggling my virtual yeah. finger at you. Um so I worked in music for a number of years. Um why why was it important to finish school? I, there's a really boring answer to this that your listeners will not be that interested in. But eventually you start applying for jobs that want you to have a degree. Mm. And I think a college degree in America is expected at a higher, you know, more frequently than it is for jobs in the UK. Yeah. Um, so it's just a barrier to entry. Mm. It's just like you don't want to be having to explain why you didn't finish your degree. Um, at the final HR stage of your job interview, frankly. I, I, I almost feel like you could come up with a tragic story and well, no way to check it. <laughs> I, you know, I'm at, you know, I'm at a point in my life now where it's not really an issue, yeah. um, but certainly I had at least one loss, night's sleep lost mm -hmm. over a job that I wanted that, they were like, you know, HR are going to have to think about this overnight. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Ugh. but Is anyway, ne next time something like that comes up, uh, Amer uh, Americans are not super well versed in like world history. Well, you could just make up something. I know that. You I've just thought make about up that. something like, like, oh, it's because of the blah, blah, blah. Just, just make up some I name. Yeah, you know, the great tragedy that happened in Scotland and then like, and just make, and all the make them feel terrible for even asking. The great haggis fire of yeah. 1807 yeah. where a giant haggis warehouse lit up and yeah. the flames brought Edinburgh to just a pile of ashes, exactly. including all of my Trust me, they will records. back off. They will stop asking. They will never bring it up again. At and Queen you will Ma get that job. Yes. So anyway, I, did, I didn't finish college, yeah. worked in music, wrote about heavy metal bands for a number of years. Um, my wife, who is working diligently downstairs, um, her job took her out of London. Um, 
the nearest job that I could get to where her job had taken her to was a video game company in Liverpool. Um, I had no interest in or propensity for playing video games and somehow blagged my way into that job. Um, and clearly I was doing such a an invaluable job that when somebody said, can we borrow him for a month? They were like, yeah, he's useless. You can take him. <laughs> Not quite, but I did, I did uh, move. I moved to America just for work. I was working for a video game company. I don't work in video games anymore. And I still, although again, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I've really quite got into VR. I know that's an anathema to some people, but I, you know, there are, there are some great experiential VR things that I've really enjoyed, um, but I'm still not a gamer. I mean, right. like if you put me down in front of like Grand Theft Auto, I would I wouldn't be able to get the car out of park. I would be just <laughs> the wheels would be spinning at the side of the road, and I'm just I can't do it. How interesting is it that the job that for you was just the job is like typically the kind of job that I know people dream about. Well, to be like people, I don't think people like I don't think kids dream about being accountants. They end up like because they're like I can do this and it makes great money and you eventually like end up there. But like kids dream about working for a video game. Sure. Um, well, kids now, kids now want to be. I'm 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 basing this on a small sample set of somebody who lives in our house who's 11 years old. Mm. I think are more interested in being the people on YouTube who play the video games oh, totally, yeah. than necessarily even the concept of you mean a company makes those. Yeah. More like you mean can I get a chair and one of those clackety keyboards and a little mini fridge full of energy mm. drinks and I just talk over video games. I think that's the the career thing now. You know, um, I, I, I grew you know we, we grew up before this version of social media right. so like for me it really was like dreaming about working for a comic book company well i uh i worked in pr which is the devil's work um <laughs> uh, but i worked in the the pr industry before um this will age me terribly before there was as much internet as there is today yeah. um when you could still pick up the phone and call people and but it wasn't really what i was super passionate about doing um and eventually um i discovered that da, 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 we're here we've arrived after we've just we've driven through we've driven through reno we've driven through fernley we've driven yeah. through gerlach we've arrived at mark's discovery of the video camera yeah. <laughs> um and did, did I get Fernley and Gerlach in the right order? I think so, yes. I'm not sure. Usually I'm asleep by then. So right, yeah, I'm driving. <laughs> I'm driving. Um, I kind of discovered online video and actually what actually happened even before that, let's back up a little mm. bit. In 1998, I went to Burning Man for the first time in 1997. 97, yeah. I went in 1998 and there was a guy in our camp who had a, a guy from Germany. His name's Basti, hi Basti, you're not listening to this. Um, he had a video camera and he made a video mm. um, when we came back. Um, I think he, him and another guy locked themselves in a room in a, a shared house that we would often be in and out of video editing for I can't remember how long and I've no idea what primitive equipment they used. This is a tape camera, kids. Yes, <laughs> and when I saw it, 
and and they and they edited it to what I still consider to be the one and only true proper music of Burning Man, which is Psytrance. <laughs> I don't mind. I mean, I'm fine with a little desert deep tech house blip, whatever. But I quite like Psytrance. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a bit ashamed of it, and I realise it all sounds the same. Yeah. But I like it. Thank so God enough people were ashamed of it that we moved on from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into sidetracks. I well, to me, it was the sound of like you. It really was it, like 1997, wandering around in the dark. It's so much less illuminated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sidetracks, which for those of you, which is most of you who will not know what it sounds like, it's sort of. Israeli heavy metal fans trying to make dance music that sounds like it was made by aliens taking DMT <laughs> in the most unsubtle way possible. It's all Terence McKenna samples of him talking about so alien dimensions. And now while, techno and houses all Alan Watts. Right, where, right. <laughs> And then it's all, you know, all of the knobs turned up as high as possible. Everything sounds like frantic fractals of noise. And it sounded weird and strange and alien in the desert. In a way that somebody playing, I hate to, I'm very, I'm quite hardcore about this. I don't want to hear lyrics about from bands that I could listen to at home. I don't want that. I want something that sounds as alien as the landscape that I'm on. Or at least... That makes so much sense to me. I right. get that. What you described, what you described to me right now, sold me on. I would, I would enjoy Psytrance in that environment. In that back in the day, like when it's all lit by fire, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, how do you feel about house music that reminds you over and over that you are listening to house music? I don't mind it. I mean, I like. I mean, we we could have a whole sidebar conversation yeah. about DJs at Burning Man. Um, I'll re- well, we may re- we may or may not return to that. Um, you know, this video that this guy Basti had made was like, you know, it was like five minutes of fast edits to this kind of dumpf, 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 dumpf track. And I just watched it and like the hair stood up on my arms and I was like, that was amazing. That's what I'm going to do next year. So I bought a video camera and we went back in 1999 and I didn't do what he did because what he did is he edited together and I've done that since then I mean I you know I, I like a nice edited together on the beat boomf 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 video but I just filmed us in the Home Depot park car park when we were just fresh-faced kids who had only ever set foot in Home Depot to buy things for Burning Man as opposed to the middle-aged lifestyle I have now where you go to Home Depot to buy things because you need to fix something at home. This was like, (laughs) let's go to buy PVC pipes with which we are going to make a tunnel. Right. Um, In 1997, we had walked through a couple of things that were like just tactile tunnels, you know, like a wooden frame with, you know, sponges and feather dusters and streamers and, you know, things hanging from the roof that you just physically walk through and between the two years um we had got really into light diffracting glasses which are those cardboard glasses with lenses in them that make the lights diffract into the spectrum very basic primitive rave technology from a different era primitive rave technology very much so and in in 1999 we decided to make 
a tunnel of lights and take these glasses, which we called the magic glasses, and we bought a pile of them, however many, whether we bought a hundred, several hundred or a thousand, I don't know. We, I had a video camera and I just filmed this experience that we had as a group of friends going together to the desert. I have no idea what day we arrived and somehow we were placed on the Esplanade. It was pretty empty on the day we arrived. These were the days when Burning Man kind of started building when Burning Man started. And you'd be wandering around looking at other people's camps thinking, they're never finishing that before the burn. Not, they're not finishing that before the gate opens. Like, they're not finishing that before the event is over. (laughs) Why did you come all this way to spend all your time in the back-breaking sun building a wooden pyramid where every piece is the same shape and you're just assembling it endlessly just anyway (laughs) we had an incredible time Uh, there were people there that we had somehow persuaded to come from Scotland I'm not sure how I'm not sure what we told them it's so long ago now that I don't remember so there were other Scottish people on playa (laughs) there there were there were friends that we had told they should come to Burning Man it would be amazing Mm. again I'm not sure what we showed them or to persuade them of this because we're talking that the late 90s Um, and we built a tunnel of lights and we had a line of people out constantly coming in, putting these glasses on, wandering through, having the most psychedelic experience of their lives with this thing that we had jankily assembled with PVC pipes and rebar and Christmas tree lights from Walgreens. Forget your walls of programmable LEDs. Again, primitive rave technology. And when I got home and took the video cassette out of the camera, or I didn't even take it out of the camera, I probably just plugged the camera into a TV and hit play, we just got to relive the experience over and over. And it was just the perfect narrative structure. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. You go, you build, you experience, it's over. Mm. There's that just arc of the experience of being at Burning Man, just, and, I kind of, at that point, just maybe to an, an excessive degree, fell in love with documenting the experience. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to dwell too long on it, but I mean, I know, I know that there are people for whom documenting the experience is an absolute anathema. Um, I don't think anybody's changing anyone's mind about that. I am open to the arguments and understand where people are coming from. Um, but I also feel like if somebody, but I also take the long view that if somebody turned around to me tomorrow and went, I have an hour of footage of Burning Man 1997, something you barely remember, if at all, would you like to see it or would you like to keep your memories pure? I would be like, put it right on right fucking now. We will watch this over and over. So, you know, I, that has been my thing. And then, you know, my videos got more and more elaborate. You know, well, I had this like VHS cassette now that I would, you know, we would go clubbing, frankly. We would go to see Psytrance DJs at Club Barneveld in San Francisco and sometimes more mainstream DJs. Yeah. And then we would come back to a friend's house and I would inevitably be like, shall we go back to Burning Man then? Shall we just watch the video one more time? Um, and with, you know, some people... I, did that over and over, got a little carried away, you know, within a couple of years, my videos were so elaborate 
that the first hour you're not even at Burning Man yet. It's just <laughs> um, and you know, I think yeah, I, that became the kind of thing. And like again, I think you know, a Burning Man video can have its own built-in narrative arc. It's something now that I play around with by changing the order of things. But you know that you know there's a there's the there's driving through what you think is the desert particularly if you've never really been to a desert before and then you're looking out the window 20 minutes later and you're going oh i guess that really wasn't a desert compared to what i'm looking at now and then you keep going and you're like oh this desert just keeps getting more and more desert like you know the scrubland that i thought was the desert isn't a desert so you know that's all built in um and then you know things happen you know camps get big camps implode life happens maybe you don't go for a couple of years you know you go back whatever you know and i you know while you haven't asked me yet i will i will get to the the, the point of saying i you know i had a couple of gaps in where i didn't go and i all you know it was always quite a painful experience not going i find yeah, yeah. there's a real ouch inside when you yeah. don't go um and you know i you know went back on and off and then we had kids and eventually i sort of floated the idea with my wife that you know hey you know maybe i could just go back you know just for a couple of days yeah. and i think what that you would have been um 2011 i think i went back thinking somehow that would cure me for a couple of years or that would be enough or that would charge the batteries and yeah. that would be me good for a while of course all it. <laughs> quite and by that point um i had become quite involved in online video and i was actually i was working at youtube at the time mm. um i was the comedy content community manager so there was you know i was doing something that seemed quite aligned with things i was interested in yeah um and because i worked at a large tech company in the bay area you know there's all sorts of list serves including you know burners at google dot whatever so you know there's a you know even though it's spread out over many campuses and offices there's enough you know back chat back and forth around the event people looking for tickets people trying to get tickets i was sitting at my desk with a monitor with oh, i missed one important detail went back had a great time but the next year but now we're up to two kids yeah. now for those of you for whom burning man is your child let me tell you that two kids is not two times one kid two kids <laughs> is exponentially more kid <laughs> and and i realized that it was a lot to ask my wife Esther, who is somewhere in the building mm. working right now, to stay home with two kids while I went to Burning Man, so I wasn't going to. And I was sitting at work and I had a monitor with, this is during the event week has already started. I've got the live feed up in one corner of the monitor. And this again, you know, you're what, 10, 11 years ago, mm. that, you know, the live feed shout out to Motorcycle Matt who does it. It's great. It's so appreciated for everybody who can't go. And to me, just looking at it, 
you know, I don't need necessarily close-ups. I can look at a long, a grainy long-distance picture of somebody just slowly walking across the playa from one art piece back towards their camp, and I know exactly what that feels like. I know yeah, exactly yeah. what that's like to to document myself or to see someone doing or to just be there myself. I can put myself there just by seeing it. So a coworker is like, Mark, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, I gave him a shorter version of, I just, just by seeing it live, I know what it's like to be there. I can conjure up the sense memory of being there. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. Cause to me, it looks like you're torturing yourself. <laughs> which was true and at that point I was um, starting to think about you know it's so close theoretically Mm. maybe I could just go for a day maybe I could just hightail my way up there spend a day there turn around and come back but I don't have a ticket now do I ask first, not knowing I have a ticket? And by ask, I mean achieve spousal buy-in on this self-indulgent act. To be clear, I'm not the hero of this story. I am not. I am the protagonist, but I am not the hero. Um, and only to find out I couldn't get a ticket, or do I try and get a ticket and then just go, oh, honey, I... something, And I just... I went back and forth on it so much in my head and I kind of came home and I said to my wife, I was like, you know, if I seem a little off, I just all day I've been thinking about how close Burning Man is and how if I could just go for it. And and she basically just said, look, if you want to go, just go. (laughs) Now, to be clear, there was no high five. There was no live your best life. There was no... How can I how can I help make this happen? Yeah. It was more a sigh of resignation. Yeah. And I took that sigh of resignation and I ran as fast as I could to the Black Rock Desert with it. Actually, at that point, I then had to find a ticket. Um, and I sort of made rules for myself, like I wasn't going to go, I wasn't going to drive to Santa Cruz. I right. wasn't going to, I did end up going to San Anselmo, but. Let me, let me, let me ask a couple of questions here. Sure. Either. Uh, how is your wife's relationship with Burning Man in general? Um, we went from 1997. We had this incredible year experience of mm. kind of creating this camp from nothing with our friends in she 1999. Yes. Yeah. Um, as our camp kind of crested, and one thing that I think is true is circa whatever it was, 2003 three maybe Mm. when the whole thing kind of imploded we were pretty the camp did the camp kind of ran its course there were some people who magic glasses camp okay shout out og magic glasses camp there were people who wanted it to be more of a sound camp we had djs but we were on the esplanade but we weren't at the end um i think there was i don't think we we were we were very young and not that wired into the broader burner community, to be honest. And these days, I guess you could go online and people could tell you in incredible detail how you run a camp. Right. How you, you and this is not this is not this is not an issue that we ever dealt with, but you know, there are people who could tell you 
how you remove someone from your camp who no longer fits with your camp, what the process for that is, or how you how you agree on who owns what when people are just chipping money in left, right and centre. But, you know, and like we didn't have a container outside Gerlach. We had stuff stored under someone's house in, yeah. on Fulton Street in San Francisco till they eventually said, you guys have to get it out of here. I don't know that that would have made a difference. I don't think, oh, if, if we had had a clearer sense of how you lead a Burning Man camp, we would still be going. That's not the case. Right. But that knowledge base of how to lead a Burning Man camp, I think, has evolved over time. Absolutely. We didn't really have that. It kind of fell apart. Um, I think at that point, Esther, my wife, was a little bit like, it's the same every time. It's the same every year. And I'm mm. a little like, that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah. So it we went. It's course for her. Yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, she's been to regional since. Logistically, we're both Scottish. We do not have available grandparents or whatever to take the kids. Mm. I don't see her, you know, without getting too far into it. Sure. I would love for us, the two of us to go back. I don't know when the time, if any, will ever be right at the moment. Right. Um, so, so that actually leads to the next question I was going to ask about. You're describing uh, the itch to go just even for one day. Right. Um, why? Because there's a sense memory that lives, I think, inside me and many other people that can be tapped into and that at the risk of being overly sincere, which as we've established, I don't do. My favorite per my favorite version of myself is me at Burning Man. Yeah. Is me being playful with other people at Burning Man. With me, it's me interpreting what's going on around me in a way that is funny and, and just being at Burning Man. And, and uh, you know, one of the founders of our Magic Glasses camp came back after like a 10 year break in i think it was 2016 um and of course you're like well what do you think and he's like well it's changed a lot and yeah it's exactly the same yeah so i just felt like i just wanted to i don't know kiss the ring yeah. or whatever no i get it touch the touch the playa the earlier when you were discussing uh those who feel that it shouldn't be documented right um this is strictly you know my very biased opinion sure because i'm a storyteller but like i feel like i feel like it's the difference between those for whom it is uh, an experience and albeit a very powerful experience and very uh, an art happening and elevating experience all these things but perhaps for them it's not quite and i'm using quotes here a religion because I feel like it when it shifts into like this is how I operate in my daily experience I need to get a taste of it I need to remember what it's like to go home versus like no like if you didn't make it there yourself then you yeah. don't get to have it I, I mean I think there's like there's again a lot of different tangents you could go off on sure, that absolutely. I mean I think obviously it was documentation that got me to Burning Man in the first mm -hmm. place um, my among my favorite Burning Man experiences are, frankly, I'll be meandering around. I don't make myself hard to spot, mm. you know, 
part of the costume makes me easy to spot. I am basically at this point Gene Simmons and Kiss yeah. putting on <laughs> putting on the the yeah, face yeah. paint and then clocking in for duty. Um, I think that one of the things that I get a lot at Burning Man is someone will go, "Oh, hey, you're that guy. There's someone I want you to meet." Mm. And I'll go, I would be delighted to, you know, anybody who thinks I do not have time to meet other people is clearly, let me assure you, I am more than happy yeah, to yeah. meet someone's dad, someone's mom, someone's grandmother, or someone's significant other. And they'll be like, this is my dad. I really wanted him to come here. I sat down with him and I watched a bunch of your videos and it helped or it convinced him that it wasn't all one thing now does that mean that i've got everything right in my videos absolutely not is there stuff in my videos that you know could be better or different or doesn't need to be there or whatever absolutely but i will say that you know i know that they have been a conduit for many people to get people that they really felt would benefit from being at burning man to burning man absolutely. and i'll take that over somebody getting annoyed that there are too many influencers lining up to take a picture next to a big piece of shiny artwork. Would I include the big piece of shiny artwork in my video? Probably, yeah. Mm. Um, but I think that ultimately that's kind of, the videos kind of have become documenting for my own amusement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the series of meta jokes in which I effectively just replicate the same things over and over with slight twists to the point where perhaps maybe I am too much at Burning Man just wandering around repeating catchphrases, but that's fine. I'm, right, right, right. I'm okay with that. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, like, jokes that are in there for myself, but, you know, it, it's become a conduit for some people to persuade some other people they should go to Burning Man mm. and I'll take that. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, the thing that I should have done before last year, which I now deeply regret, is I finally signed up to do a greeter shift last year, which I always thought was kind of a little bit of hubris for me to just mm. be like, hey, it's me, <laughs> you're a Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. I had a great time. Yeah. And also, to be clear, to be perfectly honest, for every one person who I run into at Burning Man who is excited to see me because they've sat and watched a bunch of my videos, there are 10 people sitting in the back of their RV who have no fucking idea who oh, I am. Yeah, yeah. And then they have to explain them, me to them, while I stand there going, I'll, I'll wait, just you explain <laughs> to them why I am. Um, I want you to finish the story you were in earlier. So, right. So, basically, like the first 24 hours of Burning Man video was really... Burning Man 1999. Mm. The next one, which is in a short, slightly shortened version of it, is on YouTube in two parts, possibly because at that point you could only upload 15 minutes at a time or whatever. I don't remember. Mm. Um, and then I continued to make these videos over and over. Um, one, one thing that happened in 1999, see, I'm now going further back in order to move forward. The, a real pivotal moment to me was like being in camp and my wife's hat was sitting there and she had gone. And I said to one of the other guys, I said, Curtis, put on Esther's hat and be Esther and I'll interview you. And again, that was a moment where I'm like, oh, what I like doing is 
telling people what to do <laughs> is putting words in their mouth is scripting the experience a little bit yeah. and to that and that to is kind of still there where like every year I'm like I need this link to the flashback and you know Halcyon does it for me and I like to think is able to kind of do literally say I'm now saying the things Mark's too chicken shit to say <laughs> at least in you know I'm going to bring a, a degree of earnestness or sincerity that Mark clearly is incapable of doing and also kind of plays around with yeah. the character of him so yeah. like that kind of getting people to be versions of themselves I kind of enjoy but anyway rambling this is a Billy Connolly thing is you start a story go off on a tangent come back and then continue the story oh I like that idea um, little bring around so I'd made other videos including in previous like when I went and 2011 I for a while was making videos with clown noses um, with a guy called Tex Allen who had this photography project called why the nose and I had started making video versions of that which again for me was a little bit of a kind of socially awkward behind a camera here put a clown nose on okay we've now hacked the conversation a little um, so I had a you know there were things that I was doing sporadically and then I decided I was going to go for a day and I basically I drove to San Anselmo got the ticket we'd been camping the previous weekend so the camping gear was easy to throw in the back of the car right. I didn't really need to pack because I was only going for a day and when I and on the way up there I decided that um, I was going to try and leave 24 hours after I arrived for the practical reason that I didn't want to suck myself into staying a little longer totally i didn't want to drive home after dark because i would be tired um so making it a project making going for a day be the project of going for a day uh, and not just the expediency of going for a day or the it's only practical to go for a day that enabled me to show up and say to people, I'm here for a day, that's my project. Yeah, it was a creative container. It was, yeah, exactly. And the interesting thing is, um, one of my favourite pieces of Burning Man documentation is um, John Mitchell, who I don't think is works for Burning Man anymore, but for a while was part of their communication team. He um, was a blogger, mm -hmm. may still be a blogger, I'm not sure. Um, he did uh, 24 hours at the temple mm. and the day, the, the day that I was there, which was probably the Friday night, I don't remember, um, it wasn't the man burn, so it would have been the Friday night probably after work and I left on the Saturday. I remember wandering around at night and it being very, very dusty and thinking to myself, myself, you just go back to your tent and lie down yeah. because you only have so much time here and you're, you're not getting much out of this. So focus on the daytime stuff before you leave tomorrow. But it was a very windy, dusty night. And if anybody wants to, I'm sure you can Google it, John Mitchell's 24 Hours at the Temple or whatever it's called. He just spent 24 hours at the temple and wrote about the experience. And, and it was interesting because I think, amongst other things, he, I think, wrote with, and I, I don't want to misrepresent it, I haven't written it, read it in a long time but you know it was kind of interesting we were both doing a 24-hour project on right. the same night right. um 
but it was taking that little slice of the experience and in a way, you know, expressing, as I remember it at least, some, um, not ambivalence, it's hard, I, 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 I don't want to, I'm struggling around trying to find a way to say this that is respectful of the experience, but so, certainly if you arrive at Burning Man, you may be wandering around the temple and you may look at some people and wonder, are they here all week and what do they do the other 51 year, weeks of the year? Yeah. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but there, it, it, you know, it's there's a certain amount of self-selection going on in the same way that in a, shall we say, less, not less interesting, but in a, you know, a less complex way, you might say there are acro yoga people that show up on the Monday, colonize the center of <laughs> center camp and basically do hand balancing for a mm. week and then go home or wherever else they go. I don't know. Point being, I was there for 24 hours. <laughs> I came home. I threw the thing together, called it 24 hours at Burning Man and stuck it online. And that was the first video that I made under that title. And it just stuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of, though, I, 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 there's no point in explaining this, but one of my other favorite pieces of Burning Man documentation, um, actually, I think it is now available I had a DVD of it. There's um, a short documentary called Black, Ho Black Rock Horse, mm -hmm. which I think you can get on Vimeo. Um, I think it's like a $2 rental or something. Um, it's not free to watch, but I would, you know, it's worth a couple of bucks if you don't object to spending a couple of bucks to mm -hmm. watch Burning Man content. And it's just about the Trojan horse. And it's just about the Trojan horse being an art piece at Burning Man in, I think, yeah. I'm going to say... 2011 or 12, 2011, 2012, not sure which, that was, as the, as the name implies, a giant wooden Trojan horse. Yeah, yeah. Also the basis for um, the alien siege machine, which I worked on a couple of years later. Um, but it was just a nice documentary of just a thin slice of life rather than trying to explain the whole thing from soup to nuts. Yeah. Although in retrospect, I'm now basically on team trying and explain the whole thing from soup to nuts. So I don't, clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I, I love that though, because it, to me, it just always comes back to um, a, a personal little mantra I have is uh, freedom inhibits creativity <laughs> and constraints uh, inspire it. So the constraint of that 24 hours is what inspired yeah. this thing that has that now touched you know so many tens of thousands of people around the world. I mean, you, you won... Yes, you want some constraints. I, on, for better or worse, the process has got a little out of hand. Yeah. And like the last one I made was very, very long in part because I'm making it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I know that, the, you know, not to bring it back to analytics, I know that a lot of people will um, stop viewing at a certain point, but that's fine. Um, I'm there for the long haul. I don't want, you know, to be clear, I don't watch them all the time. Mm -hmm. But what, I, every so often I might want to watch one and, you know, laugh at all my own jokes. Um, but the making of them got a little out of hand because I think in... And how are we doing for time? We're, we're, we're getting sort of at the end. Yeah. Of the yeah. There's, a there, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of them that I would call out as just being interesting in different ways. Um... In 2015, um, I 
got involved. Well, in 2014, I got involved with like local builders. We, we built the, well, I documented the building of the alien siege machine, mm. which was sort of HR, an HR Geiger remix of the Trojan horse. Um, and then the next year I was involved in the Temple of Promise, which was an interesting thing to document. And to the extent that I documented it, I will bring you back to the sacred and the profane yeah. from where we started. Um, I made a video that has interviews with Robbie Dobbs, who, you know, is part of, I guess, the volunteer team that do a lot of st sticker information in the in the porta potties, yeah. <laughs> rubbing up alongside trying to capture some of what the experience of being part of a team who are building the temple is mm -hmm. like. Um, and it was, you know, an interesting and complex experience, I think is the best and most polite way of putting it. Um, people are there for very different reasons. And as somebody once said, you don't, you, you may never know the reason that somebody is there or you may find out over time, right. but it's not the same as committing to build a giant HR Geiger-esque yeah. Trojan horse. Yeah. And for a variety of reasons, by the time I got to Playa, there are the, the sudden, you know, I was an odd mix for even camping with the temple builders because late at night, you would have like a burn barrel and some really gnarly dudes sitting around, passing around bottles of fireball or whatever and telling gnarly tales of the gnarly Playa and here's me toodling back to my tent, slightly LED'd up and maybe feeling a little bit too sparkly for yeah. that particular mix. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a, a very interesting experience. And right at the end, um, April, my friend April, who was project managing a lot of the project, I kind of said to her, like, can you just talk about this? Mm. And the last, in April, who ironically has also a background in PR, the last um, five or seven minutes of the video is just her talking about the experience kind of from soup to nuts. And that was a bit of a shift. It kind of made me now feel shit. I now need to find some way of ending these videos. <laughs> so now yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wandering around waiting for an ending to, t to take place. Mm -hmm. So far, I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, the last time we went, which I guess was 2019, the there was a, a Wizard of Oz-inspired installation called There's No Place Like Home, mm. which really spoke to me as a parent in a way that I'd never imagined in 1997 that I would necessarily even be a parent, let alone somebody who's right. seeing, you know, their kids growing up reflected back at them in artwork at Burning Man. So, you know, that was a good ending. <laughs> Yeah. There was the year that um, my friends Amy and Heidi um, did a couple of editions of um, the dating game, which we did in camp, um, and I enjoyed helping out. But mm. I'm retelling a story. You can watch the whole fucking video yeah. and see it for yourself. The playa provides endings. Is but, that, is well, that... <laughs> I, sometimes, um, and they ended up doing it themselves. Mm. Um, after me kind of adding a little bit of my own sort of performative hubris to kind of get the ball rolling. And I was able to say the, the classic line at the end of it. And I must say, 
as a parent, I watch a lot of kids' movies and they vary, but some of them are really good. The story, to, you know, but you inevitably end up at the point where it's like, it was inside you all along. Yeah, and I think yeah. whether that's that year with my friends who put on a show on their own with no help from me, although I was standing watching thinking, damn, I want to be up there with them. Damn, give me a microphone. Damn, I have words inside me struggling <laughs> to come out. But, you know, the opportunity to, you know, see your friends ideas blossom and see them blossom in the process um you know i guess that's the you know that's the ending and it's just uh, to a certain degree meandering around trying to find a different version of the same ending yeah. a way of going you know you should come here because there's something inside you that you don't know till you get here or maybe you do know or you know but you know it's going to bring something out of you, hopefully something good. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I get that. Um, and I, I would, I think what you're describing, it's interesting how art comes together. You know, it's more like we, we kind of do the structural work and then we allow certain parts of it to, to come together in ways that we can't necessarily predict. Yeah. And, and, and you're having built what you've built and having allowed that space to exist is I'm certain what has spoken to so many people who have watched the video, which like, maybe just kind of needed that final nudge. I imagine that's I the thing that so. happens yeah. a lot is, is like people who need a final nudge before they go, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, there's also definitely an age thing. I think, mm -hmm. you know, as I get older, you know, even though, you know, Burning Man, you know, representation of Burning Man tends to be somewhat self-selecting. And yeah. I, I know this myself, even when I've done, you're wandering around, with a bag of clown noses asking people, can you put this on and can I document you doing it? You know, people, there are people who are running towards you and there are people who are running away from you. Right. And, you know, sometimes the people who are running away from you are worth chasing and right. worth chasing down. Which, which is so interesting because like you're, I mean, you're, again, like it's a, the, the, the medium that you have uh, is people who have, uh, who have more or less, set the intention that they are interested enough that they are willing to be talked into going to Burning Man right. or or they're already like, oh my God, is it? Uh, yeah, a lot of my audience, I think, is like at a level of geekery. Right. Like really, really like, I want to know the real nerdy stuff that yeah. goes on behind the scenes. Which, it, which is why Burning Man podcasts are great yeah. because you get all of that, you know, you know, take one topic, yeah. somebody who works at Rampart yeah. and just tell the whole story, which is what you can't really do in a video. You can't right. really, you know, you can do three to five minutes maybe. And really my videos are just, you know, they're like a series of five minutes stitched together in an it's visual it's so much sexier though you but get you know, noticed well there you go you know well, what happens with me somebody will comment on instagram i think i heard you laughing right <laughs> while waiting in line for ice <laughs> yes but the power of being in people's ears yeah, very yeah. exciting uh, yeah well that, you know what that's going to get us up on a whole whole other topic yes. but i want to know uh are there so is there going to be a 24 hours at burning man 2022 i, I can't see how there wouldn't be i I have a ticket. I'm planning on going. I feel a little overwhelmed by the thought of going at the moment and right. the fact that I have made the whole thing unnecessarily complex. I figure that I could try and make it less complicated. Yeah, yeah. But I think realistically, you know, I'm going to 
want to do similar things. Yeah. I'm not that interested. You know, I've, I reinvented the wheel when I changed the structure, when I changed the structure of the thing to start in the middle and then flash back to the start. That's really all I need to do about reinvention. Um, I, you know, I, I hope nothing will come up between now and then that means I can't go. I'm feeling a little bit of the same thing and I feel like a lot of people are and I kind of feel like there, there's a name for this concept where like the further out a deadline is, the more complicated we make the task. So I kind of feel like having taken a few years off Burning Man, like maybe we're overcomplicating well, it. Well, there's also like there's momentum and just, yeah, the, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, I think one of the one of the fun but challenging things that I experienced was basically... Well, the, the the other the other discovery I made is like so the best time to post your Burning Man video mm -hmm. is not surprisingly the week after Burning Man. Yeah, the second best We're all time chasing the dragon. Right, the second best time is a few weeks before Burning Man. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, That's when I get all my uh, increase in listens. Yeah, and I when I realized that I just wasn't getting the video done in a timely manner and the best time to do it would be just before Burning Man. That then baked a lot of procrastination in yeah, yeah. and then a very frantic last couple of months, which my wife can attest to is not fun for those around <laughs> me. As I try, as like once you've, once you've made this ridiculously overcomplicated feature length, 90 minute long monstrosity that's actually two hours long and you feel that you need to remove mm. half an hour of it just to make it functional um what was my point i got I had a point it's gone i think i was just it's like yeah and you just have to finish you you can't mm. then give up on it so yeah. you like you're like i put the, the sunk cost is so great that the finishing is chaos i know and then, I get it. to be fair, for every moment of Burning Man that I have taken and polished and decided where it fits in the jigsaw mm. and oftentimes, and, and, you know, again, I could waffle on for hours, but I'm not going, I'll try not to, you know, a large portion of it has become stuff I've tracked down from other people. I'll yeah. be, you know, other stuff that otherwise would have been, you know, may have been posted and disappeared without anybody seeing it. You know, I've managed to pull to, you know, it becomes quite a collaborative effort towards the end. That's um, beautiful. But once I've done all of that, what was I going to say? Ah, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. Um, <laughs> it, you know, starting all of that again from mm. scratch feels exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Doing, or oh, the, the thing I was going to say is like, for every memory I have polished, it certainly has removed other memories from my brain. So I can, you know, my memories are very much around the things I filmed. Mm -hmm. And then to post it three weeks before Burning Man and then go to Burning Man has the nightmarish quality, the pleasant nightmarish mm -hmm. quality of being like, shit, I was only here three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So you know, at least going this year, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to make a video from last year because I didn't go last year. Yeah. But but it's a reminder of how much work I've created for myself unnecessarily. <laughs> so, yes, I fully intend to make it. I fully expect it to be exciting because it's going back there. 
I'm mildly angsty about will there be a story arc that will end in a satisfying way. Mm. I can tell myself it doesn't matter, but I'm not 100% on board with that. Um, if it's not the greatest burning 24 hours at Burning Man video ever made, that I'll try and be okay with that. Yeah. I expect that's going to be the case. I suspect I'm just... I have a bad back now. I'm old. I have a bad back. I'm genuinely concerned that the physical mobility that I had in my youth is slowly ebbing away. And if it's like anything like the last few camping trips I went on, it's going to be a nightmarish hell of painkillers and discomfort. Well, here's what's going to, here's my prediction. Uh, freedom inhibits creativity. <laughs> You're going to get more creative. You have no choice. And some more interesting stuff is going to come out of the way that you tell stories. Things that you're going to have to... Because the art is not in the telling. The art is what we leave out. The art is what I leave out of the frame. The art yeah. is when we choose to edit out stories. Because if we just shoot everything, then it's not really... I, I feel really bad, though. I feel mm. like a couple of years ago... Remember the giant green garlic clove elephant thing? Yes. I had a conversation with the people who made that. And like they're not the first artists I've run into who because they're coming to Burning Man for the first time and have brought an ambitious project with mm -hmm. them have probably researched Burning Man on the internet so have run across content that I have made so they were quite happy for me to be interviewing yeah. them unfortunately the art piece was trying somehow to bring awareness to how badly elephants are treated in captivity and while interviewing them mentally I was thinking well I can't use this because at some point I'm going to want to just sit back and enjoy watching this mm. and this is a bit of a bummer isn't it yeah 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 and I always feel t you know I really I always feel crappy if I you know if anybody's listening to this and I, I interviewed you once and didn't include it. First off, why would you still be listening to this? I should be on your shit list. And secondly, I always feel kind of crap. I, I, I hate interviewing people and not being able to use mm. the footage. Sometimes, sometimes the challenge can be walking onto a build site and, so, and I will say, are you the artist? And somebody will go like, kinda, but I don't really want to speak for the project. Mm. And maybe this is a topic for part two. But, you know, I understand, I don't want to use the word politics, but I understand one thing that I've learned from being around artists at Burning Man is how, you know, how it can be an absolutely draining 24-7 day after day experience mm -hmm. and, you know, the friction that it can cause and the it can bring people together. It can also push people apart. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, I always try, you know, and there are times when, you know, you might say, can you talk about this project? Some mm -hmm. go, I'm not really the artist. I don't want to speak on their behalf. And for better or worse, sometimes I'm like, just go on. Just, <laughs> you can do this. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they'll go, well, come back later. The artist will be here later. And I'm like, a bit like I'm not, I'm not going to come back. back yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. 
So, you know, so listen, if you're listening to this and Mark Day comes up and says, uh, do you want to talk about blah, blah, just, just say yes. Just talk about it. Because, I, you know, he's probably not going to come back. <laughs> I, I, I will try. I try and be, you know, respectful of boundaries like that. Yeah. But I can be a we little ha- we have We have profiles in the dust to do that. They'll come back and record yes. all the thing. They'll come back with yeah. an actual professional crew yeah. of directors of photography who work yeah. on shows that you've seen on the Discovery Channel. I'm just me. Yeah. No, I know. I've, and I've I, had, that's I've, it. <laughs> yeah. I've had bookings on this show too. They're like, you know, I can give you this amount of time. And, and uh, for the, I'm like, okay, I'm not like, I'm not turning this into an editor. Like yes. this, is, this is our fun little project that we're doing. Yes. Um, but yes, anyway, I, I like that. We'll, we're going to close on that. Yes, that's a Mark good Day place comes to up it. to talk to you. Immediacy. Immediacy is one of immediacy. the 10 principles. Jump on it. Join in my very yeah. non-immediate project by participating immediately in something that I am then going to, <laughs> through a very long and laborious process, turn into something that's the furthest away from immediacy yeah. you could possibly and get. Maybe it'll come up later in the year. It's like yeah. matter and antimatter colliding. <laughs> be the supernova you've always wanted to be by that's talking great. to me in the desert. I love oh, it. and before we go... Have you seen the sky today? If you haven't, go outside and look. Hopefully, wherever you live, it looks magnificent. I can tell you it looks magnificent wherever I am. But all you need is decent clouds or an absence of clouds. But decent clouds is better. And or the magic hour. And or just after sunset. It doesn't matter where you are. Just go and look at the sky. You can do it. for. It took me a long time to get from looking at the sky at Burning Man to realizing I could tap into that anywhere. Yeah. Learn from learn from my voyage of discovery towards looking at the sky and go and look at the sky. The end. There you go. Fuck yeah, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your videos. Thank Cheers. you for all of all you've done for the community. We appreciate you very very much. Uh, thank you for for giving me your time. Uh, thank you. For all of them. You're welcome. Uh, you are now listening to the sounds of Captain J. The set was recorded at Burning Man on a day, which I forgot to research before hitting record on today's <laughs> show. Uh, and I'm too lazy to do that right now. So uh, I hope Jay's written good notes on his SoundCloud links, which we will be including along uh, with today's episode. But Captain J from the Air Pusher Collective, that is the DJ set that you are listening to right now. Uh, humble brag, by the way, Mark. Um, Actually, it's not even humble. It's just a brag. Uh, I interviewed Jay for this podcast on the same day that I interviewed Igor Meriwan, who is the founder of Abita Sonica Radio, and he's the booking lead for Playground. And then I connected the two of them, and Jay got to have one of his lifelong dreams fulfilled by having a DJ set of his featured on Abita Sonica Radio. Uh, Burner Podcast makes dreams come true. But I, you know, I love yeah. the Air Pusher crew. Mm-hmm. My my kids have been up on on the airship on many yeah. occasions. I know that the whole Ibiza DJ connection thing is yeah. a big thing for Jay because I've yeah. seen him post about it on his social media is about how excited he is to be kind of ongoing, <laughs> endlessly rising in the world of uh, DJing music. So that is yeah, awesome. that Air is Pusher, awesome. Captain yeah. Jay, yeah. two thumbs up. <laughs> Please do leave us a review on iTunes or on your podcast platform of choice and message us if you want to support the show by contributing in any fashion. You're always invited to pitch interviews in your neck of the woods. All of these links are over at BurnerPodcast.com, which you'll also find links to other cool audio content. Our producers are Louis Gallopo, a.k.a. Mulaku in Canada, and Michael Seth Prell in Austin, Texas. The Burner Podcast theme music, America's Horse But No Name remix, 
is produced by Joman out of Denver, Colorado. He is over at soundcloud.com slash DJ Joman. So until next time, love, light, and all that other crap, take us back to the playa, Captain J.
Always have to steal my kisses from you. Always have to steal my kisses from you. Always have to steal my kisses from you. Always have to steal my kisses from you.
burnerpodcast.com.